There's a legend that Pablo Casals, the most renowned cellist of the first half of the 19th century, once began sight-reading a piece of music, only to find that he knew the notes that were approaching before he even saw them. And he continued to play this seemingly new piece perfectly, note for note, with his eyes closed. It turned out he would learn that his mother had practiced the piece daily during her pregnancy. A legend, yet research has shown that newborn infants do recognize their mother's voice on day one. And so expectant parents have been known to do many things to try to influence their yet-to-be-born children. Some mothers will put headphones on their stomach playing classical music, hoping to stimulate a brain that is just beginning to develop. Others will read stories, hoping to develop an early sense of language and to create that recognition of parents' voices. As Jason and I were expecting our first child three years ago, we too spoke to our yet-to-be-born daughter. But we were worried less about in utero intellectual capacity or recognition than we were about estimated time of arrival. <laughs> what words did we repeat over and over again? Not on Rosh Hashanah, not on Rosh Hashanah, not on Rosh Hashanah. And when I woke up on Sunday morning, September 13th, 2015, the morning of Erev Rosh Hashanah, to find that Jason had been downstairs bouncing on her birthing ball, binge-watching Mad Men since three in the morning when her contractions had begun. I learned from the beginning that we had a child who did not like to be told what to do, <laughs> or more specifically, what not to do. After hearing not Rosh Hashanah so many times, I'm sure she had that date circled on her little calendar <laughs> from the beginning. So what does a rabbi getting ready for his first High Holy Days at his new synagogue do when his wife starts having contractions the morning of Erev Rosh Hashanah? Well, the first thing I did was officiate the funeral that was scheduled for that morning. Contractions were still far apart and sporadic. We had a ride for Jason available if things changed drastically while I was unavailable. My bag was in my car in case I needed to go straight to the hospital and what else was I going to do? Nothing changed during the funeral. And when I got home, we continued preparing our Rosh Hashanah dinner and getting ready for services. I even got to watch a little bit of football. We knew that things could go on like this for days, just as we knew that they could change in an instant. I was on the phone with our executive director, our temple president, the cantor, and the rabbi educator making sure that we were ready for both plan A and plan B, and the plan C, which we had not discussed, which would have been Jason and my having to leave in the middle of the service. But sure enough, at six o'clock, just as we were about to sit down and eat, contractions be became a consistent five minutes apart. We put the uneaten chicken and potatoes in the fridge. I would eat them on my own over the next few days. We lit candles and chanted a very quick kiddish over juice, of course, and we proceeded to drive right past the synagogue, cars just starting to fill the parking lot on our way to the hospital. 
As congregants entered the sanctuary, they saw a screen and projector set up in the middle of the bima. And at 7.30, as our cantor entered the sanctuary, he pressed play to share a welcome message I had recorded a few days earlier, along with my sermons, just in case. If you're watching me on a screen right now, I shared with the congregation, as much as I would like to say that I wish I were with you, if I'm doing what I think I'm doing, I am thrilled to not be with you all right now. Many in the congregation would later tell me they were disappointed that my comments were pre-recorded rather than live streamed. <laughs> and then at 2.54 in the morning of September 14th, Eva B. Simon was born. Six pounds, 13 ounces, pleasing the rabbi nerd in me as there are 613 commandments in the Torah. <laughs> Named after Jason's grandma Betty and mine Eva Johanna, her Hebrew name would become Chana Devorah. Chana, as we've just heard, the subject of the Haftarah on Rosh Hashanah, and Devorah, also after my grandfather David, and the Hebrew word for bee which makes honey. It was the perfect name for a Rosh Hashanah baby, and yes, I have absolutely no shame in that rabbinic nerdiness. <laughs> that morning, as I sat in the hospital with my beautiful, brave, exhausted wife, and my beautiful, terrifying, and already exhausting baby girl, <laughs> knowing that services had just started a few miles away, but that I was exactly where I needed to be. I found myself both the least aware and the most aware I've ever been of a new Jewish year in my life. I wasn't worried about the service. We had prepared everything and everyone knew their roles. The cantor even had a copy of my sermon just in case there was a problem with technology. But while I knew my congregation was taken care of, I wanted for Jason, Eva, and me to have something as well. I wanted to do something that morning sitting in the hospital room to mark the holiness of the day. I didn't think that the shofar would go over so well in the maternity ward. <laughs> so I pulled out my phone and opened my Torah app to the 22nd chapter of Genesis, the story of Abraham and the binding of Isaac that we heard so beautifully chanted this morning. I held Eva in my arms and chanted, Vayehi achar hadvarim ha'ele veha Elohim nisa et Avraham vayomer elav Avraham vayomer hineni hineni here I am. But as I began, I was quickly interrupted by Eva's screams and Jason's groan of disapproval for my choice of activity. <laughs> Realizing that my rabbinic nerdiness may not be shared by my family at every moment, I put my phone away and decided that my best observance of Rosh Hashanah that day would be to enjoy this new creation, to be present with my family. Hineni, I am here. Looking back today at that Rosh Hashanah three years ago, I allow myself to put that day in my win column. I was there. 
I witnessed the birth of my first child, and Jason and I began a new life on a new year in a way that will change the way in which we view this day for the rest of our lives. And in less than ideal circumstances, I was able to find a way to be present for my congregation as well. Through the modern marvels of video, they were able to see my, voice, see my face and hear my voice. But more than the video, I said Hineni. I showed the congregation that I was there by ensuring that everything they needed was there, even at a time when I could not be. And I trusted others to help me, giving them the space to say Hineni as well. But even as I reminisce on that moment in which I could say Hineni in two places at the same time, I also think of all those times in which we cannot. I was going to try to briefly explain quantum physics to you. The way in which an electron can be in two places at the same time, acting as both a particle and a wave, as was reluctantly proposed by Einstein and proven by later scientists. If I butchered that, I hope any quantum physicists in the congregation will forgive me. That's about the full extent of my understanding or lack thereof, and thus my ability to explain. We'll add quantum physics to my list of inadequacies for next year's Hinani prayer, the prayer I discussed last night, the prayer in which the prayer leader seeks humility, admitting his or her faults even as he or she leads the congregation. As I think about that balance required for humility, that day on which I did not physically lead the congregation, and then the story of Abraham and his relationship to his faith and to his family, both Hineni and Hineni gain new meaning for me. Not only as different grammatical forms of the Hebrew word for claiming presence, but also as another layer to the understanding of humility, acceptance of the inability to be present for everyone all the time. An electron may be able to be in multiple places at once, but as much as evolving technology may want to make us believe otherwise, we as humans cannot. I may not be able to explain quantum physics this morning, but let's look again at that story we hear every year, the story of Abraham and Isaac, a story that in so many ways is completely incomprehensible and reprehensible to us in a modern world but at the same time a story that has so much to offer, teaching us about human limitations that are just as true today as they were 3,000 years ago. God said to him, Abraham, and he answered, Hineni. Abraham said, I am here. But when asked to sacrifice his son, the same Abraham who only four chapters earlier had fought for the lives of the people of Sodom and Gomorrah, people he didn't know, is silent. In this potential conflict between work and family, Abraham seemingly sets his family aside in order to say he need to God. But even as he disregards his family, he also seems to simply go through the motions with God not engaging in conversation in the same way as he has elsewhere. Abraham says he nani, but seems to be distant both from his family and his God, performing the task he's been assigned, but not thinking about the consequences to any of the parties involved. The story goes on, and after Abraham sends his servants away, leaving only him, his son Isaac, and the supplies needed for the sacrifice, 
as far as we know, still not having spoken to his son, Isaac asks, Father? Abraham answers, Hineni beni, here I am, my son. Isaac asked his father why there were supplies for a sacrifice but no lamb, and Abraham responded, God will provide the lamb, my son. The Torah is often not one for long conversations, but even for the Torah, this seems like a dismissive answer. The text says that the two walked off together, but they don't speak again. It makes sense that Abraham would have been distracted, his mind might have already been on Mount Moriah, or he may have simply been avoiding a difficult conversation. But when Abraham had a chance to truly talk to his son, to explain the complexity of the moment, to bring him in, he pushed him away instead. In both of these moments, Abraham said he nani, and he was physically present, but he seems to have been emotionally absent. How often when we need to be present are we going through the motions or thinking of other things? Maybe we're thinking about work when we're spending time with our family or thinking about our family when we're at work. Thinking about an upcoming meeting rather than the current one we're attending. Acting as though we're listening when we're staring at our phones, reading texts or emails, or looking at pictures of those far away rather than engaging with those in our presence. Or perhaps disengaging completely, giving up because there are just too many responsibilities seeking our attention. How often do we say, Hineni, I'm here, but in reality, we are anywhere but. And then, as Abraham holds the knife over his son, at the end of our fairly short story, an angel calls out, Abraham, Abraham. The angel has to call twice for a somewhat preoccupied Abraham to answer. The call was coming from an unknown number, after all. <laughs> but in this third call, and this third Hineni, the angel gives Abraham the compromise he had been unable to find for himself. He didn't know how he could be present for both God and his family in the task that had been given to him. Instead of trying to reconcile the disharmony for himself, he had ignored it, retreated within himself. He said that he was present, but he had given up and disappeared. In the end, the ram represents a compromise that perhaps had existed all along had Abraham allowed himself to see it. Sometimes these compromises are possible. We can't physically be in two places at once, but technology does allow us to video conference into a meeting where we can't be physically present, or even to watch our child's sporting event or concert live, even when we can't be there. Sometimes they're not possible, and we have to say no. We have to miss something, let someone down, or miss a moment. In either of those cases, we have to try to be better than Abraham, whose story ends and life goes on for him and Isaac, but we never see the two speak again. And we never see God speak to Abraham again either. Even as he receives his blessing, Abraham is punished. There are consequences for his actions. While Abraham may have been physically present, he was emotionally absent. And it was felt. It was noticed. We, therefore, must do our best to be emotionally present, whether we're in the room or not. Now let me stop for a moment to admit that 
I am speaking to you as a culprit. I spoke from this Bema seven years ago about addiction to our phones. And as things have gotten worse as a society, they've gotten worse for me as well. I'm on my phone when I am with my family far too often. I get distracted and my mind wanders at inopportune moments, even when I'm not on my phone. I too say hineni when I'm not fully there, and it's something that I am going to work on in the coming year. But we don't have to be perfect. Perhaps it's impossible to be 100% present 100% of the time. In fact, I'm assuming that for many of you, your minds have wandered or you've momentarily dozed off and you've been less than 100% present over the past 15 minutes. <laughs> but if I were to stop and say, are you with me? Are you paying attention? Most of you would come back. You may have missed something, but now you could truly say Hineni. The angel called out twice, Avraham, Avraham. Jason and I have a rule. When one of us calls the other and the other is busy, it's okay to send the call to voicemail. But if there's a second call immediately following, we answer. Perhaps our challenge in a modern world is to do our best, to allow that we may at times falter, but to watch for those second calls, to make our hineni as genuine as we can as often as we can and when our full presence is most needed. We can also all try to be understanding when we can be, that in a world in which we carry the world in our pockets and are expected to be available to the world at all times, occasionally the ones we may be trying to reach at any given moment might be trying to be present for someone else. In Rabbi Bernholtz's last sermon as senior rabbi at the end of June, a sermon, by the way, that you can hear on the Shari Tzedek podcast, which is a great way, along with our live stream, to be present with us even when you can't physically be here. It's a short word from our sponsor. <laughs> In that sermon, Rabbi ended with the story of Zusia, a chassid who was worried that when he died, God would be upset that he hadn't been more like Abraham or Moses. He learned, however, that this would not be the case. The only question with which he had to concern himself was whether or not he had been the best Zeusia. We cannot control who we are not, Rabbi taught, but we can do our best at being who we are. Like expectant parents, we all have worlds that depend on us. Worlds that we try to influence positively every chance we get. But like expectant parents, like all parents, as much as we can control, there is so much more that we cannot. We all have different circumstances that impact our ability to be where we want to be. Sometimes we can make compromises and sometimes we can't. But most often we cannot control where we cannot be but we can control the way in which we relate to our loved ones, our friends, our community, and others when we are with them. And we can do our best to be emotionally present for our loved ones and for those who need us, even when we can't physically be by their side. I'd like to end my remarks this morning with a poem written by a classmate of mine, Rabbi Carrie Tuling of Glastonbury, Connecticut. Be fully here 
a meditation for Rosh Hashanah morning. Be fully here in this moment now, listening to the low hum of the machinery of life, acutely aware of the smell of soap in your neighbor's movements. Feel now the solidity of the seat that supports you. She didn't know about the springs in ours, but new ones are coming. <laughs> Feel now the solidity of the seat that supports you. Quiet your tireless legs. They move endlessly even as you sleep and rest. For do you not even blurt things out in your dreams? That tongue is now still. Let it find its seat in the sanctuary of your mouth. Unclench your fists. Let go of the attempt to control. This is your life, but it is not yours to keep. Rather know that it is in the giving that you are born. Love these people. Drink them in. They fill your life like wine in a kiddush cup. Bless them. Be fully here in this moment now.